I'm Camara Dorsey, and you're listening to WQED's Voice of the Arts. And today, I'm joined by Marty Ashby from MCG Jazz. And for those who may not know, MCG stands for Manchester's Craftsman's Guild. So how are you doing today, Marty? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. So can you give myself and our Voice of the Arts listeners just a little inside look into what the Craftsman's Guild is and what it is that the Guild does? Sure. Well, MCG, Manchester Craftsman's Guild, started back in 1968. And it was founded by the great Bill Strickland. And uh, to make a long story short, he created Manchester Craftsman's Guild to recreate the experience he had in his high school uh, art class. Uh, because art and uh, jazz music saved his life, as he'll tell you, to this day. So he created Manchester Craftsman's Guild, which was actually a row home up in the North Side neighborhood. And he would, uh, as he still tells the story, you know, bring people off the street, kids off the street, and teach them ceramics and uh, eventually photography and would play jazz for them as they were doing it. And uh, it really kept kids in school and gave them something to hang on to using the arts as a vehicle to, and again, as Bill puts it, you know, you can't teach kids anything if they don't want to live, right? So the arts became a vehicle to engage uh, young people in a conversation about understanding a set of possibilities, right? Um, and so then that went very well, and he was having great success with um, young people, keeping them in school and just getting them to go on to careers and be productive citizens uh, from the community. And he took over a vocational school uh, called the Bidwell Training Center. And uh, Bidwell is really all about vocational training for adults, folks that have lost their job or for whatever reason uh, need a career change. Um, And we trained them initially. It was in the building trades and so on and so forth back in the day. Uh, Now in the new center, uh, we're training for a variety of programs in medical technology, a great culinary arts program. Um, So spin the tape forward from 1968, and uh, Bill decided that in order to really realize his vision for what these programs could be, he needed to build a center, Yeah. right? He needed to have a space that was uh, um, wonderful and elegant and really could showcase the amazing talent that these young people and adults really are. So he raised the pot of money and uh, wandered around all the big buildings in Pittsburgh with a cardboard box of what this building could be and his vision for the future. And uh, he built... Uh, Manchester Craftsman's Guild Bidwell Training Center, which is now called uh, Manchester Bidwell Corporation, 1815 Metropolitan Street on the north side, which, interesting enough, Mary, it's, it's, it's about four blocks from his high school hmm. where he grew up, and he built this center uh, to work with folks from the community, both in the arts um, and uh, in vocational training for adults to have them get jobs and uh, and find a way to support their families. And now that's been uh, 35, 36 years of the new building, and, and, and we're going strong. That's amazing. I love that. So I want to know about you. When did you start working at the Guild, and when did you get to the Guild? Um, yeah, about that time. I, You know, I grew up in a family of musicians okay. uh, in central New York. And uh, when I was, oh, seven years old, I got the mumps. Now, nobody gets that anymore, uh, but my dad had a music store, so he didn't, he didn't start until later in the day, and, and he was a musician, and he said, well, you know, you're going to be home for two weeks, because in those days, you couldn't go to school. Mm-hmm. You had to stay home. 
He said, you're not that sick. You want to learn how to play the guitar? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so I owe it all to the mumps. Um, and so he taught me how to play the guitar. My brother had already started playing the drums a little bit. And one thing led to, the, to another. And six months later, I was on my first gig wow. with my dad at, at eight years old. And uh, my brother played trombone, and he was a couple years younger than me. And so we were, you're too young, but we were like the Partridge family, <laughs> right, uh, in central New York. And as a family band, my mom played bass, and uh, we traveled all over central New York. So I kind of gr grew up just playing in a family band. And when I finished undergrad um, at Ithaca College, I moved to New York to be a jazz star, because that's what you do, I guess. And I ended up, in addition to playing jazz and learning how to produce some things, um, working for the New York Philharmonic, okay. which is a pretty good band. You know, they swing a little bit. <laughs> and uh, what happened, which was really unplanned, it was very jazz, very spontaneous and organic. I moved through management very quickly, and uh, I'll never forget walking into Avery Fisher Hall, which is, you know, Lincoln Center, and I took the elevator up three floors to the interview, and I was with this young person, and he had a stack of music in his hands, and I said, hey, man, what do you do? And he said, I am the assistant music librarian. I said, cool, what, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, I'm the cat that puts the music out on the stand for the musicians. And it hit me right then that opera, theater, ballet, symphony orchestras, dance, they had this huge infrastructure of um, how the arts organizations worked. And in jazz, now you got to remember this is 40 years ago, there were virtually no organizations mm -hmm. that had that kind of infrastructure. So I moved through management and ended up with the Cleveland Orchestra, and then eventually the Pittsburgh Symphony made me an offer I couldn't refuse, and uh, I ended up here in 1985, 86. And all the while, I was producing jazz festivals and playing as a jazz musician around the world, but learning about what I call the OPAs, the other performing arts. There's jazz and then the OPAs, and learning their infrastructure about development and marketing and audience retention and subscription series marketing, right? And um, then I got a call um, when I was still at the symphony here. Somebody said, there's this guy, Bill Strickland. He's on the north side. And uh, apparently he built this music hall for jazz. And I said, okay. And he said, so Emily Remler was her name, a great guitarist living in town. She goes, he wants to meet me. Can you go with me? So she picked me up at Heinz Hall, and uh, we drove over to this building. And in those days, Camara, right by our building was a burnt-out shopping center mm. with drug dealers on the corner. There was a little melon bank, no bigger than this room that we're in, and they would buzz one person in the bank at a time. <laughs> wow. Seriously, right? So we're <laughs> you got to paint the picture, yeah. right? So we're driving to the north side and going through and I'm saying where in the world are you taking me man and then suddenly there's this shining jewel that pops up on the corner and we walked in the building and Bill met us and he gave us a tour of the whole facility and we got to the music hall and he said I built the music hall to do jazz concerts because 
jazz saved my life. And he said, but I don't know anything about how to do that. And I said, uh, um, I'm, I'm Mr. Strickland. <laughs> I raised my hand. I said, uh, uh, sir, uh, uh, we need to talk. And Bill, as you get to know him, and you should, uh, looked at me, stared me in the eyes, and said, how about 9 a.m. tomorrow morning? <laughs> so I stayed up all night on my little Mac Lisa computer, way before your time, <laughs> and uh, wrote a proposal why he had to hire me. And uh, that was 36 years ago. Wow. It's been a pretty good run. Wow. This is so amazing just to hear about, like, the history of, like, Pittsburgh and about what's happening in Pittsburgh. I feel like there is so much history in Pittsburgh that it's, like, people just can't contain it all. They're just like, okay, yeah, this person, you go there to talk to them about this. If you want to know about this, go to this person and talk to them about this. So it's so powerful to know that something that this story originated in this small, it's this small right. space. Like someone just says, I want to do it yeah. and I need your help. Yeah. And I think that's, that's powerful. Just like the power of collaboration and partnership in the city of Pittsburgh, yeah. I think is, is very amazing. And I think our city is, is ripe with that. Um, a lot of people love to collaborate. So I love hearing about that. I want to know, what does the MCG Jazz program aim to do in the community? Well, when, when we started the program, the, the idea was to present jazz um, in a dignified environment at the level of the OPAs, the other performing arts, create an identifiable audience base, um, share and shepherd uh, the musical experience with young people to create audiences for the future, mm -hmm. and also allow young people to become exposed to the music. Because even back then, now 35 years ago, you know, while there were more music programs, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, than, than there are today, there still were not a ton in, in the public schools here, especially, but more than today. And also to honor the legacy of the musicians uh, that created this music that we call jazz. Because, you know, we have to remember that jazz, you know, fundamentally started around the turn of the century, you know, coming into the uh, into the 20th century at the end of the 19, um, uh, 1800s into the 1900s. So it's pretty new music, yeah. you know, all things being equal. And 35 years ago, it was even newer, right? And we still had many of the primary resources that created jazz as we know it today, the Dizzy Gillespie's and the Max Roaches and the Carmen McRae's, and they were all still alive. And we were able to um, have them all all join us in those in those early years and have continued to and that's one of the really interesting and just really fortunate opportunities of where the guild started in 1987 that there were still some of those folks from the 30s and 40s you know that were that created bebop and you know we're still in the swing era yeah. you know um and that we were able to have them later in their careers um, because now, of course, they're all gone mm -hmm. and we're on to secondary and tertiary for the most part um, musicians that are you know, still creating the music, obviously, in a profound way. But those that we kind of consider some of the original creators, um, we were able to all have uh, pretty much all of them at one point, which is such an exciting opportunity for Pittsburgh to, to be able to do that. So that was the original idea. Um, and I'm happy to say that we've done that and so much more since then. 
what does it mean to you? I just want to know, what does it mean to you since your long history with jazz, starting, you did your first gig at eight years old. So what does it mean to you that you get to be a part of this MCG Jazz and the, the Guild? Well, it's been an honor uh, from day one uh, to be able to be around yeah. my idols, you know, people that created this music. I mean, you know, to be able to call Billy Taylor and Max Roach and Clark Terry and, you know, some Nancy Wilson, we've, you know, we won two Grammys with Nancy Wilson that we produced the records, which we'll probably talk about at some point. But to have these folks that created the music that were my idols and continue to be and be able to present them to Pittsburgh audiences and expose them to young people with all the workshops and things that we do. Um, you know, I, to this day, I pinch myself daily <laughs> to say I'm, I'm with the legends of this music and, you know, now making records and videos and all kinds of other things and um, continuing that tradition with the next generation of musicians, which we work very closely with as well. It's done exactly what Bill Strickland wanted it to do. He wanted to create an environment that would share the experience that he had in Frank Ross's art class. Frank Ross was his art teacher in high school. And that experience of putting on Wes Montgomery and, and Billy Taylor and those artists, uh, we were able to do that and continue to in a live environment uh, for folks here of Western PA and now beyond. People fly in from all over the world to come to concerts for us now, which is so exciting. So you talked a little bit about um, exposing like the next generation. So I'm, I'm interested to know, like, what are the, the opportunities for youth to get involved at MCG Jazz? Way back, and this is probably, we started in 87, so I think this was in 1988 we started this. And back in the day, it was called Third Grade Jazz. Um, and we've expanded it now to be School of Swing okay. is the name of the program. And we did it with third grade and then fifth grade and then seventh grade. We had a whole program. And what we used to do and continue to do now is we would bus in all, all of the third graders in the Pittsburgh Public Schools. Now, keep in mind, our music hall is 350 seats. And back in the day, there were some 6,000, over 6,000 third graders. Wow. Right? It's a fraction of that now. Um, and so we would do a series of 10 concerts over three days and bus them in. And um, I had folks like handyman Joe Negri, which we know well from here at WQED, the great Roger Humphreys, a drummer in Pittsburgh, and Dwayne Dolphin, and just some of the legends um, that we put together this program that engaged third graders and it, I tell you, I, and I still see it when they come in now, that when they come in, they're skeptical. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are largely inner-city children. Yeah. And by definition, um, it can be a challenge in their day-to-day -day life um, in many ways. And they come in and they kind of look through you a little bit. And when they leave, they're singing, they're laughing, they're scatting. They're jumping up and down during the concert. And what we figured out is that this music is so authentic. And because I had some of the best musicians in the world playing for these young people, you know, they hear Roger Humphreys hit the cymbal once, and they, they can feel it. You don't have to say a word. 
and they can feel how authentic that is. And so we've been able to do that now for whatever, since 1988. And now we take it down into West Virginia. We go into rural West Virginia and do the same thing. Um, and we're exposing young people to the, to the, to the spirit of the music. Um, and I got a great short story. Um, so this is maybe now mm, five, six years ago. We was at one of our subscription concerts, one of our big concerts. I don't remember who was playing. And at intermission, this this really handsome uh, young African-American man comes up to me and says, Hello, Mr. Ashby. My name is Jermaine something. I've lost the last name now. I said, Hello, how are you doing? Great to have you here. He said, Yes, my wife and I are, are uh, subscribers this year for the first time. I said, Oh, man, great to have you. And he goes, I was here for one of your third grade jazz concerts. Oh. And... Uh, he said, I never forgot that. And I went on to go to University of Pittsburgh. And he uh, works with uh, young people in, in, in the neighborhoods now, mentoring them. Not even in music, just in life. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, but that third grade jazz concert, which is what it was called when he was there, uh, he said, I never forgot it. And uh, we're thrilled to be attending these concerts. Yeah. One kid at a time, yeah. right? all you can do yeah. right I love how it's just like it it doesn't stay it doesn't stay when they're in third grade it goes on and someone comes up to you and you're like you know it, in that time when you were in third grade I had no idea I didn't know you were in the crowd no but you come up to me now and you're like thank you yeah and I love I love how you're able to do that I love how the city of Pittsburgh is able to over and over yes I feel like our city is really a city where a lot of people are like this changed my life and you have no idea who I am, but I want to let you know you changed my yeah, life. Amen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I was a puddle. <laughs> yeah, as, as you know, you can imagine. But uh, And there's a million stories like yeah. that, you know, over and over again. And that, you know, with with all of the the craziness going on in the world and, and all of the dysfunction and, you know, all of the injustice and all of that, there are so many people that want to make a difference yeah. and th you know through our music through our conversation through you know just the spirit and the attitude that's th one one at a time that that's all we can do it's it's water on granite man and eventually the shape will come out i was just in italy and they were talking about michelangelo's uh, david right and uh the, you know the great story is that he just chipped away what wasn't the art <laughs> you know, you know, it's the same thing, man. It's it's the beauty is always there. We just we just got to look for it. Yeah. You talked a little bit about like like the injustices that we're experiencing and like being able to introduce students to the spirit of the music. And so uh, at Voice of the Arts and something that uh, I'm aiming to do um, on these podcasts is uh, highlight diversity and highlight um, inclusion uh, through the arts. So I just want to know how are the MCG jazz initiatives centering around inclusion and diversity in the arts? Yeah, it's, and, and we can always do better. Let me just start there um, across the board. Yeah. Um, always do better with it. Jazz music, as you know, as the listeners largely know, I, I suspect, um, is rooted in the African American experience. Yeah. And so by definition, from day one, um, 
you know, the vast majority of artists that we've, we've presented have, have been African American and in jazz, um, the, 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 the boundaries between, um, you know, LGBTQ plus and, 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 and different kinds of, of, of ethnic groups, those lines are all blurred and they have been for, for so long. Um, and so it, we're fortunate in the music that we present from day one that there was such rich diversity in it. Mm. Uh, and it continues to be. Yeah. You know, jazz is a world music. And just in our upcoming season, you know, we've got folks from Jamaica and Cuba and Western Asia and, of course, a lot of African Americans. And, and, and it just, it's so um, exciting to see how jazz is truly a universal language. You know, I've been fortunate to play all over the world and... You know, I was in Japan a handful of years ago and at this conference and I had a, I was asked to play with these two young Japanese jazz musicians and, you know, my Japanese is about as good as my Hindi, you know, it's, it's, it's awful. And they spoke no English and we had a rehearsal for about 10 minutes, which, which really was me just playing the melody on a couple tunes and they nodded like they knew it and I said, okay. And we played a 40-minute set that felt like we'd been playing together for 20 years. Wow. And um, that's the thing about jazz music. Um, it's, it's inclusive in as much um, from a musical standpoint as it is from uh, just an interpersonal and cultural standpoint as well. And so while we can do better with it, um, for me that means trying to get the music out even further into the community. Um, I think from a presentation standpoint, um, you know, we've, we've, that's been our mantra since day one. You know, we are, we are basically a, a, you know, an organization that is, is run by an African-American, and we focus on that music um, for obvious reasons. It's great music. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, how it's, it's what it's all about. Um, but I do believe that there are opportunities for partnership with other organizations and other groups and things that can even expand, um, you know, the understanding of this music and how inclusive the music in and of itself is. See, that's where I'm living, um, which is why we're, we're working on a much larger educational initiative right now to, to really expand the offerings. And we're actually working on um, the classroom of the future for jazz right now, which was probably worth talking about. We just renovated our music hall during the COVID shutdown. Our music hall was 35 years old. It did great. Tens and tens of thousands of people and kids were there. But, you know, the carpet was a little old. The seats were getting a little old. So we were fortunate enough to raise the funds to completely renovate the music hall. And it's unbelievable what we've been able to do with it. And now we're creating what we call the classroom of the future, where we're going to integrate some of the technology, like we're talking on this technology right now, and um, certainly the aesthetics and understanding of jazz, both playing it and just appreciating it and understanding the dynamic of it. Um, so that's the next big thing over the next year or so that we'll be creating and working with a variety of partners, both on the adult training side as well as incorporating it into more youth programs. Okay, awesome. It's not often that an organization like this comes along, trailblazes path for many people, people that will come back up to you and say, that changed my life. 
And so it's really amazing for me to be able to hear all that the guild does. When I was in high school, there were people like, yeah, I'm going to Manchester Crescent Guild. I'm like, oh, I didn't live in the North Side. So I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> but they're like, we do all this art stuff. And I'm like, that's really awesome. Like, And so to really hear about it and really hear what is actually happening, I think that's awesome. And I really, I love it. I wanted to kind of change directions and talk a little bit about, so I saw that uh, Manchester Crescent Guild Jazz has won Grammys for albums. So can you just tell me a little bit about that, what you all do in your recording studio and, sure. and everything around that? Well, again, thanks to Bill Strickland and his vision, when he built the music hall, um, which was before I got there, when he was kind of doing the drawings and building it, he had the presence of mind to make sure that there was some recording gear associated with the original music hall. And it was, you know, old eight-track analog tape and, you know. Um, but that proved to be profound because from day one, we started recording all the concerts. And, of course, we upgraded the technology fairly quickly and moved on to, you know, multi-track digital recording and all of that. And we started um, a record label. We actually started with an NPR series. Okay. And uh, in the early 90s, we had an NPR series that happened every July. And it was, you know, 350 stations back then around the country. And it really solidified MCG Jazz as a brand in the jazz world, mm. those three years that we did that. And then I said, well, we're raising all this money to do this NPR series. Why don't we start making some records? <laughs> and that's when CDs were hot. They were, the, they were the new hot commodity there in, you know, 90 and 91, 92. And um, we started recording, and the first commercial recording we did was with the Count Basie Orchestra and the New York Voices, um, live concert from the Guild. And don't you know, it won a Grammy. Hmm. Now, I admit, um, back then, and this was like 91, 92, somewhere in there, I didn't know anything about the Grammy process. I, you know, man, I was running a music hall. I'm a jazz musician, played on records, but I didn't know the business side of how that worked. And um, we got a quick PhD in how all that worked and started making more records and created our own label and, you know, um, did pretty well. Um, got another Grammy nomination with our next record and so on and so forth. And to make a long story short, the great Nancy Wilson, who's one of the most wonderful singers that ever was um, wanted to do something for us because uh, her husband was from Pittsburgh and she just fell in love with the school and she loved our culinary school <laughs> and everything and we did a Christmas record with her and that did very well it got us on Oprah and so we played I took all these Pittsburghers to the Oprah show we played Christmas music live and you'll love this um, the other group that was there doing the Christmas show with Oprah was this group called Destiny's Child. <laughs> now, this is before anybody knew who Beyonce was. Wow. So this is a great short story. I don't <laughs> want to go on a tangent, but it's such a fun story. So we're there um, doing the Oprah show, and we were going to do two songs live. You can find it on the web. It's on YouTube. You can see Nancy Wilson on Oprah, and you'll see Roger Humphreys playing, and, and, and we're all there. But Destiny's Child, for those of you who don't know, uh, was uh, a group of three women and one of which was Beyonce. And Beyonce came to Nancy's dressing room and and came over and was, you know, like bowing down to Miss Wilson and was very, very elegant in her young age back then, but understood that she was in the presence of royalty. Mm. 
right? I was, I, to this day, I can still see her because I was there with Nancy when she came and um, very impressed, which is probably why her career has done so well because she respects what came before her yeah. and appreciated that. So I'll go back to the story. Sorry, a little tangent there. But um, so we ended up doing very well with Nancy and made two more records, which won back-to-back Grammys with her. And as of late, we've shifted into really focusing on Pittsburgh musicians and have done a series of recordings of all Pittsburgh musicians, from Frank Cunamundo to uh, Maureen Budway, who we lost to way too soon, to the Pittsburgh Jazz Legacy, to a new record with Craig Davis and a bunch of other recordings that are coming out that focus on Pittsburgh artists. Joe Negri, Handyman, we did a couple great records with him. Um, And that's part of our mission is to celebrate not only the past, but the present of these musicians that are carrying the torch forward. Mm. Wow. You touched upon a little bit about uh, Craig Davis and you brought us a little gift, his (laughs) CD called Tone Paintings. And we want to feature a song from this because it was recorded in you all studio, correct? Okay. So Mm. it was recorded in the MCG jazz studios and we're going to feature Dodo's Bounce, and can you just tell us a little bit about that song, about this album? It's it's really a tribute and an honoring of the great Dodo Marmorosa, mm-hmm. who's a Pittsburgher, who was born in, I think, 1925, and was a prodigy. Uh, he was playing, you know, Bach Inventions at, you know, age seven or something, like, you know, that, and went on the road at age 15, ended up going to New York and playing with, you know, all of, all of the greats. And um, this, it, but ended up being fairly unknown because he, he got off the scene for a variety of reasons uh, fairly early in the, in the late 50s, early 60s, and came back to town and was kind of a little bit of a recluse. So his music is not that well known, but he's on hundreds of recordings. And Craig Davis um, took some of his recordings and transcribed some of this music, and it's unbelievable music. So the entire record is a tribute to Dodo's music. And I do want to mention that the great Jeff Hamilton on drums and John Clayton on bass, who are two of the absolute legends uh, that Craig got to record this music. So it's an exciting project, and uh, it's just hot off the presses and out over the airwaves uh, just, just this week.
So I know that MCG Jazz has a concert series. So I want to know, are there any concerts uh, or events that the community should know about that you want to tell us about? Sure. We've got a, a, a two parts to our, our programming. We have a whole summer series, which, of course, now is kind of winding down a little bit. Uh, we do have uh, some summer things left. Every year we do big concerts in partnership with Allegheny County Parks, and we do things at Hartwood Acres, and it's Health Park, and we do things with the Downtown Partnership, and we have a partnership with the Pittsburgh Playhouse where we have a whole series we do there. Uh, we've got another partnership with Cinderlands, which is a restaurant and brewery in the Strip District, uh, which has really been a lot of fun. To, you know, a lot of younger people and folks that maybe are not in the, in the uh, in the target for jazz, so to speak. That you know, but we've been there once a month. We've got another one there on September second at Cinderlands. Uh, at some September tenth, the Pittsburgh Jazz Orchestra will be out um, at Boyce Park, okay. and the whole jazz orchestra will be there as part of the Radical Days. Um, and then our concert season opens um, in September. Um, and on September uh, 10th, I believe, we have um, a wonderful concert, um, a smooth jazz concert at MCG. And then our main concert series opens on September 24th with the legendary Monty Alexander. Wow. I'm so thankful that you're here today. My father was a drummer, and he loved jazz. So mm -hmm. for me to even hear about this history, I'm like, there's just some things I just don't know. Like, yeah. you know, you try to ask so many questions and you're just like, there's just some things that you just miss. And so to even hear about the rich history of music that Pittsburgh has is really, it's refreshing. It really is refreshing. So I just want to know, is there anything else that you want to share with me today and our listeners about uh, the Guild, about MCG Jazz, and just about jazz music in general? Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned about the kind of the history of jazz in Pittsburgh. Um, we did a documentary okay. that um, you may have seen. It's a PBS documentary. In fact, WQED was the presenting station for us. Uh, it took us 10 years to make this documentary. And what we tried to do is chronicle um, some of the artists that changed and contributed to jazz as we know it today. And arguably, um, you know, Pittsburgh is one of the most important cities in the world for jazz. People like Ahmad Jamal and, and Errol Garner, Earl Father Hines, Stanley Turrentine, uh, Kenny Clark, Art Blakey, Ray Brown, uh, George Benson. I mean, the, the folks, Billy Strayhorn, mm -hmm. for heaven's sakes. So we, we, we did a film, and we, we focused on 15 of these artists. Now, there's many, many more, but, you know, we had 58 minutes to tell the story. And uh, all but two are African-American, um, by the way, um, in terms of telling the story of the legacy of this music from, from Pittsburgh. And it did very well. It won a couple telly awards, and it still played thousands of times on, on the airwaves. And I encourage folks... Um, to go to the mcgjazz.org site to, uh, to purchase the DVD or Blu-ray because it's an amazing um, kind of short synopsis of the importance of these jazz musicians, men and women. You know, Mary Lou Williams is someone that we profile. Um, and uh, it's just a, it's a great story. And what I find is that the story just keeps evolving. Mm -hmm. And, a, and a, another quick short story I love to tell there's a drummer in town, and I call him, you know, young drummer, um, because I knew him when he was seven, eight years old, uh, by the name of James Johnson III. And, of course, 
his dad, Dr. J, runs the mm -hmm. Afro-American um, uh, Music Institute, Jazz, Jazz Institute. And Max Roach, one of the great drummers of all time, was at the Guild. And uh, James, uh, I'd call him Little James at the time, um, was standing backstage in his little, his little cable knit sweater and just marveled at it. And Max came off for the encore, he came off stage and saw James there and said, I'm going for the encore, come with me. And he took him by the hand, this is a true story, man. Took him by the hand and brought James out and Max had set up his group called Umboom, which was like six or seven different percussion setups around the stage. And some of the greatest percussionists in the world were there and drummers. And he took him around to each of the different things and played a little something and had, Matt, and had James play it. Well, spin the tape forward, and James is now w one of the great drummers in this country and has played all over the world with some of the masters and continues uh, to be one of the great drummers. And that continuation of the story, of the legacy, as the music is passed on, um, is, is if I had to sum up one thing that we do that's most important, it's that, and that's continuing the story. So we know WQED, we have our classical music station, but I'm curious, because you know a lot, you know so much more than me. So I want to know, if somebody is listening to this and they're looking to start listening to jazz music, what are some, what are some artists that you would tell them, start listening to this or start listening to this person? Well, there, there's so many to start with. Um, what I might suggest, um, you know, not even in a... In a um, self-serving way, but we very specifically put together some recordings on the MCG label okay. that um, kind of showcase a variety of artists from different kind of genres and put together. Um, so there's a record that we have out called the Pittsburgh Jazz Legacy that you can get on our, on our website, which really showcases a lot of artists from Pittsburgh and their music. Um, we've got a, a, a record there called Quintessential Jazz, uh, which features some swing music, some music from Stanley Turntine, some, you know, some things from Herbie Mann, you know, great artists um, that give you a little spattering. Uh, we've got another one, if, you, if someone might be interested in Brazilian jazz, okay. um, we've got a kind of a Brazilian jazz sampler that's available as well uh, on, on the website, um, which are good starting places. And then the next thing I tell them to do is give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you can always reach me at the uh, at the Craftsman's Guild, which is the 412-322-0800. And, um, you know, happy to talk to you about what your likes and dislikes are and point you in the right direction. We have an archive. One of the things that we've been fortunate to do over the decades, as I mentioned, is record everything. Yeah. And we have an archive of thousands of hours of the greatest musicians in the world. We've got uh, three different people's record collections now and CD collections, so our archives are pretty extensive. And one of the things we're going to do with this classroom in the future and archive center is have that be something that people could little, literally come and mm -hmm. sit down and call up in the archives, you know, you know tens of thousands of, of tracks and artists, photos. Uh, we've got 100 plus thousand images over the last 35 years. Uh, of, again, the greatest jazz musicians in the world. Um, so stay tuned for 
part two of MCG Jazz and some of the things that we're doing specifically for the community and for the archive. Amazing. Well, I'm thankful that you're here today, <laughs> that you literally just schooled me because I'm just taking it all in. I love history. I love learning new things and even just to learn all about what the Guild is doing in the community for students, uh, all students, specifically students of color. I, I, I love it. And it was a pleasure being able to hear about you and the Guild and, and what's happening in the community. I'm Kamara Dorsey, and you've been listening to WQED's Voice of the Arts. <laughs>